If you've been following our recent podcasts, you'll know we've been speaking to former Blues about their time at Everton, and also about the career and life paths they followed after leaving Goodison Park. And our next guest has a post-playing career tale that comes with a warning. Mark Ward experienced the highs and the lows as a player, very much so. He was released by his beloved Everton as a kid, and ten years later was signed for the Blues by Howard Kendall. In between, he played for Northwich Victoria, Oldham Athletic, West Ham United and Manchester City. And afterwards, he played in England, Scotland and Norway. And he was in New York on the day of the horrific 9-11 terrorist attack. But in 2005, Mark Ward hit rock bottom. He became involved in the supply of Class A drugs and wound up serving four years in prison. Eleven years on from his release, I caught up with the former midfielder to discuss his journey to redemption, how he's turned his life around, his enduring love for Everton, and why Howard Kendall will forever be Mark Ward's main man. Mark, let's go right back to the, the very beginning, your, your upbringing in Heighton. Did that, did that shape you as the footballer you became? I think it had a big part, that, and uh, obviously I always want to do my talks and I speak about Heighton. I always say it's a little village in Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> you know, some, some great footballs have come from that uh, little little part of Liverpool, really. And uh, when you look at, like, Peter Reid, Steven Gerrard, Joey Barton, myself, I always say, you know, one thing about all them four players, they can have a go. And, uh, you know, I remember getting attacked by a dog at... Uh, dribbling the ball up to the, the shop at the top of the street and uh, it's a big Alsatian and uh, people say like Eitan is that hard the dog used to hang around in twos it was uh, that sort of place but uh, you know like my dad said to me you know next time son keep your head up you know I said when you're dribbling the ball I was only about three or four years of age ended up going to Alder Day with a split head open and he said uh, didn't stop me going to, to, uh, to the shop for sweets but it was my first coaching lesson because I was looking round, not for the opposition, but for the dogs, and it let me out to dribble the ball, yeah. put it that way. <laughs> Did your dad play football, Mark? My dad was a good uh, Sunday league, and, you know, uh, he played for Skem, South Liverpool. So, you know, he, he had a really good reputation in, in them days. He was a winger. He played on the left. Uh, and funnily enough, my dad was left and right-footed, and I just wish I'd have had even half of his left-footed have been a far better player. When did you sort of realise that you had a chance? When did you realise that you were better than the kids around you that you, that you were playing football with in the streets? Well, I think when I was in the infant school, I always used to be caught in the junior school. was just, a, you know, just about the playground was only like 200 yards away. So I would always be caught playing football with the older boys at the junior school. And I used to get reprimanded and all that. But I think when I got to the junior school, you know, I was in the first 11 in the second year, which is it's unusual, really especially for someone who was so small. And uh, I remember being in the cup final uh, that season for the school and scoring the winner. Uh, and, uh, you know, they're great memories, really. It was the first cup final I ever played in. And it was at St Luke's School in Prescott. And yeah, I think, you know, football was my life. It was just every day, every second of the day with the ball at my feet, you know, in the street. And uh, getting involved with all the, you know, the local teams. And then you get spotted then, don't you? And... Uh, I remember bumping into uh, Steve Hughes, who was the uh, founder of Wiston Juniors, who you know, brought a lot of players along over the years, and I think I was the first to make it as a pro. And he said to me, Mark, he said, you know, we should bring it off on the under-12s at half-time and put you on in the second half in the under-14s. But I can't remember that, Darren, you know what I mean? Because play I played that much football. 
and he said and he'd still he still do you know he'd still be the best player on the pitch so I think you know that's why Everton come and you know sign me uh, How old were you when you went to Everton? I was 12 and, and what happened was because my local side we'd won everything and uh, we played an Everton 11 at Belfield that's how good our, our team was and so this was the best kids all around uh, the country and uh, I think the likes of Gary Stevens was playing Kevin Richardson and uh my dad was at the game, it was at Belfield, just great to go and play at Belfield. And uh, yeah. I thought he had a decent game and uh, Ray Mitchell was there and the coaches and then he went to my dad and said, you know, we've seen something in your boy there, can you come and train with us on a Tuesdays and Thursdays? And so that's what I was started at the club. Because you were an Evertonian anyway, weren't you? Yeah, without a doubt. And, uh, but, you know, considering I was on the losing side at 6-0, someone must have seen something and, uh, yeah. you know, don't forget, these were all the best kids from around the country. And when you, yeah. you look at the players that were there, you know, we went on to have some uh, great careers. And, and things went well for you as a youth player. And I've, I've read about the, the youth tournaments in, in Groningen when you were... You, did, did you win the tournament yourself and Gary Stevens and, and Richo? Yeah, it was... Uh, I was lucky to go, really, because I'd had a bit of an injury and it was an under-19 tournament in Groningen uh, in Holland. And... I think Sharpie ended up going on Scottish Youth International duty, so there was a space because they weren't too sure on me. I was an apprentice, and it was whether they'd sign me as a pro, and I'd missed a few games, and uh, so I went, and I knew that this was going to be my last chance to really, you know, show the coaches that I, I was good enough to to get a pro contract. And uh, some big clubs there, uh, Ronald Koeman played in that tournament because uh, he was from Groningen, and. Uh, Ipswich with the, there was two English sides, a couple of top Spanish teams, Italians, and the, yeah, we won it, we won it, and I scored, scored the winner in the final, got played at the tournament, and they had to sign me then, didn't they? You know what I mean? It was just <laughs> one of them, and uh, oh, I did play out my skin because I thought, I think sometimes in my career when I've been under pressure, I can play under pressure, and uh, you know it was a fantastic achievement by the whole club and and the youth team because there were some great players in that team: Steve McMahon, Kevin Richardson, Gary Stevens. That has played. So when you think of the quality that went on and, and yeah. become great players, you know, uh, yeah. probably entitled to win it, really. Like you say, you, you, you've, you've always enjoyed proving people wrong. You've always liked when the pressure's on. When you signed your professional contract, looking back now, did you did you take your foot off the gas a little bit or did it spur you on even more? Um, I don't think it took my foot off the gas because I wasn't that sort of player who could do that. I was always an hard-working player, uh, even though as a kid... Technically, it was probably the best, that, you know, in the round our area. But it takes more than that, Darren, as you know, you know, athleticism and things like that. So I was always behind a lot of the other players because when I signed Apprentice, uh, Gary Stevens was just in the same position as me and we'd become really good good mates and Rich Show as well. And, you know, you'd have to uh, compete against the likes of Gary running, in you know, running exercises. <laughs> and he was like... Northumberland champion at one, two hundred, four hundred meters. Um and like let's let's get let's be honest, I don't think he was as good as me technically, but he was still a great great player and had a great career. But for me to match his athleticism was never gonna happen. Let's get it right. You can always work on your technique. But what I did do, I worked at it and I remember being physically sick trying to compete with him. 
that me, that's me pushing myself to the limits. And the, mm. you know, I think that's what I had in me. I could push myself as much as I could to the extreme where you've, you're sick. And uh, they'd say, what have you had for breakfast today, Baldy? Because <laughs> the, the, the sort of physical, you know, what I'd actually put into it made me sick. And I think competing with the likes of him, because he was mm. such an athlete. Yeah. And, you know, that gave me, uh, you know, I was never going to be able to, to match him, but, you know, I got close and uh, mm. I thank him for that. <laughs> Could you, can you still recall the day that you were told that you were being released by Everton Football Club? Yes, like it was tomorrow, it was devastating. And, uh, I remember, you know, I'd been a pro for a year and they were, you know, it was touch and go. And it's a funny day because you're all going, you're all waiting and it's like, could be make up, but it is make or break, isn't it? And it is a yeah, nervous yeah. time. And anyway, Gordon Lee was the manager, and uh, I went in, and it, it was a person I'd never really spoke to. He wasn't going to be like the managers that you know that were going to mm. be after him. Uh, it was very quiet, really, in a, in a way. And he just sat me down and said, "Listen, son, there's no easy way to say this, but we don't think you're ever going to be big enough, quick enough, or strong enough, you know, to play at the top level." You've got a lot of ability, but we think that, you know, your standard is going to be a lot less than in this club. And uh, it was a bombshell. You know, I remember getting the bus on Eaton Road at home and I, I cried in my dad's arms. I just got in I, he, and he said, what's wrong? And I just told mm. him everything, let me go. And, he, and I always remember my dad, he wasn't a man of, you know, many words, but he said, listen, son, you, you carry on. He said, you're only 18. He said, by the time you're 21, I'm telling you, You'll have caught up physically <clears throat> and, uh, you know, you will get quicker. And that's the difference, Darren. It was the pace, really, that I needed. And, I, I, you know, eventually got it. I was speaking to David Unsworth recently about releasing players and he said it's the most difficult part of the job. But there's a support mechanism in place where they speak to agents, they speak to clubs, they'll put the boy's name around there. Was that in place with you, Mark, or was it just a case of in one day, out the next? To be honest... Um, it was touch and go. This is a good story, actually, because there was the season had finished and Howard took over, didn't he? Howard yeah. took over. Yeah. So he wanted, Howard being Howard, he wanted to make sure that the players that were let go would, had they made the right choice. And there was a game, it was a game in, oh God, it was in Yorkshire. Uh, forget the club. It's a lower league club. It was a testimonial. So the Everton side were going there with the likes of Andy King, uh, yeah. all the top players. And uh, he threw. I was. He said, "You're playing tonight." He said, uh, "And Kingy, I was very close to Kingy. I was his apprentice." And he said, "Just do your best." He said, uh, "We'll all help you." He said, "We think you, you know, you can get another year here." And uh, Halifax Town it was. Anyway, I, had a, I thought I had a really good game. And on the way home, I remember him tapping me and saying, "You've done enough." And apparently, Howard had said said to me, "He said, are we sure about the little fella?" And uh, you know, they must have got together and said, "Listen." We don't think he's up to it. And, uh, he, you know, when he saw me eventually, you know, years later, he said uh, it would have been up to him even after, on that performance, he'd have kept me. But it wasn't to be. But choices have got to be made. And sometimes in life, Darren, you've got to go backwards to go forwards. And, uh, mm. you know, disappointments. So a lot of the top players have been let go <clears throat> over the years. And uh, it's, it's all a part of your character, isn't it? So did you sort North Victoria out yourself or did, did Everton Football Club help you with that? No, what happened was I was still looking for a club uh, leading up to that next season and I got a telegram to the, the telegram come to our house and uh, 
in my name. And I thought, you know, Telegram. We never had a phone and it was just it was difficult to get, you know, anyone to get hold of me. And the Telegram, when I read it quickly, I thought it said Norwich. And it said <laughs> Northwich. And I, I screamed out to me, Dad, Dad, I've got a trial at Norwich. And when he looked at it, he went, that's Northwich. I said, I said where's that? He said, oh, it's only down the road. He said, but it's a good little club. And uh, it was f- funny because Tony Murphy, the left-back, at uh, Northwich, he lived quite near me, so I had his address. I went round, and he was a typical scouter. He had a big bully head, come to, come to the door in his underpants. So I went round, and I said, you Tony? And I said, yeah, read that. He went, yeah, I'll take you for the trial on Saturday, son. He said, be here at 11 o'clock. So... As he went in, he said to Rosie's missus, because I'm still in touch with Tony to this day, he's a good mate of mine, and, and he said, this little boy's come for the trial. He said, he's only this big. He said, he's got no <laughs> chance. So we both went in, in his Hillman Imp, and we went to Northwich, and we played Bolton in pre-season, and, and they were getting beat 2-0. And uh, Tony just kicked everything. You know what I mean? He had a great left foot. He just, and no one got past him because he just put them up in the air. Typical old non-league stuff in the... Mm. Lammy Robertson, the manager, the Scottish fella, he said, yeah, go on some with 20 minutes to go. And I went on and uh, scored and I made a goal. And we drew the game and he just he just couldn't wait to put, get me in the office to sign me. And I wasn't going to sign because my dad told me not to sign. And I thought, well, I'm on the dole. It keeps me in football. This is a great little club. I was, you know, was earning £20 a week on the dole. And he, I think he offered me 60 quid and I signed. And it's probably the best thing he ever did. I was playing with proper, you know, ex-pros that had come down a little bit, you know, at the end of their careers. And, uh, like, I was 18 and the next youngest was 28. You know, brickies, <laughs> brickies, joiners, school teachers, insurance, brokers. What a great group of lads and good players as well. And, like, each week you were playing against proper men. You know, it seems like Barnet, Enfield, you know, all the top, Maidstone. Yeovil and all them and uh, mm. I really really enjoyed it and Johnny King took over after a few weeks and uh, I always remember Johnny took I got injured and Johnny took over because it had a bad start and uh, he, I got got back fit and he kept on putting me on the bench and it was my first like confrontation with him and uh, he was a character Johnny I mean Johnny King the old family manager by the way yeah and he would draw and altering him and I'm thinking he's not even putting me on here so I said to him after the game, I said, don't you know I'm your best player? <laughs> and he went, I believe you can play a bit, son. He said, but if you don't get to training, how am I going to play it on a Saturday? Because they used to train at the Guinness factory at the other end of Runcorn or in Northwich, and if I didn't have a car, if I couldn't, if Tony was Tony Murphy was doing nights at Fords, I couldn't get to training. So we're playing in the FA Cup on the Saturday, and I thought, oh, I'll run to, the, I'll run to, to training. Oh, it took me nearly two hours. Anyway, I got there. I didn't realise how far it was, to be honest. It was 14 miles. And I got there and uh, I put my head through the, the dressing room door. And he said to me, how did you get here, son? I said, After, uh, I've, I've run here. He said, uh, good attitude, son. I said, well, you better play me on Saturday. And anyway, he, play, he played me and he played me up front and I scored at Atsy. And he said to me afterwards, you can play, son. He said, I'll look after you. And fair play to him, he did, you know. Got me a good, great move to Oldham. What moving to Oldham was terrific for you because it got you back in league football, but the pull of Joe Royal for an Evertonian must have been massive. Yeah, he was just like, well, he's a legend, isn't he? And what a lovely man. And uh, he, he, you know, before that, the next season, I had two full seasons at, at Northwich, 
and it was eighty three season and you know, he rings me at home and he and he said, Where where do you know Liverpool? I said, wherever you want to go to you. and I met him in the baby elephant pub in Walton Village and uh, it was about six o'clock and uh, we're having a nice quiet talk and then all these lads come in and I knew a couple of them and they were Evertonians and they were getting pictures took instead of just like talking quietly. But in a nutshell, Joe said, the chairman at the club, Ian Stott, didn't want to pay £9,500 for a non-league player. And like, typically me, I said, Joe, I'll be your best player. And he just laughed. I swear to God, he just laughed. He said, I love your confidence, Mark. He said, if you play one game this season, you know, vindicated. He said, because they think it's a gamble. Anyway, I signed, that was the Monday, I signed on the Tuesday. And the first game was Brighton, on, Brighton at home on the Saturday. And the Martin Buchan, the great Man United player, yeah, the captain, yeah. he, was all the emphasis was on him because he'd just signed. And I kept on saying to me, Dad, Dad, no one can get near me in training. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm scoring goals. And I said, if he doesn't play me on Saturday, I'll be amazed. He said, Mark, you've only been there five minutes. He said, don't get carried away. On the Friday I trained. I'd done really well and he pulled me to one side. He said, you okay? I said, yeah. He said, well, listen, you're making your league debut tomorrow. And I looked up at him. I said, I should think so as well. And he just burst out <laughs> laughing. He just burst out laughing. He said, I wish you all the luck in the world, son. And, uh, you know, a lot of players, you remember the league debuts and, like, I scored the winner in the last minute. It was a diving header at the far post. And I always remember it because someone took a photo and it was horizontal. And the keeper, he bottled it a bit. And there was, there was, only, one, there was only one person going to get that ball that day. And uh, mm. I remember when I coming off the pitch, he grabbed hold of me and... Uh, after the, I think I got married in the match for the first four home games, and he, he, he used to grab hold of me and kiss me on the top of the head and go, the best nine and a half thousand pounds I'll ever spend. And, <laughs> uh, you know, it was vindicated really because they sold me for a quarter of a million two years later. And did you take that self confidence down to West Ham? Did you look at John Lyle and say, I'll be one of your best players? No. No, <laughs> I, think, I think what it was, Darren, uh, played with some great players at Oldham, and I think the higher you go up, some players can like, you know, it enhance the career or the, the way they play because they're playing with better players. And some of them players at Oldham were fantastic players who were near the end of their careers. Tony Henry, Roger Palmer, Kenny Clements, Martin Buchan, you know, uh, some great players. And uh, it was a different kettle of fish going to West Ham because, you know, I played two full seasons at Oldham, never missed a game. And, uh, you know, Joe always used to say like, you know, players go to clubs and you, you don't get enough playing time out of them but I just hated missing a game even though I had a niggle I'd always want to play I was very very fit so when the 85-86 season was coming around I was looking forward but there were clubs looking at me and just out the blue he rings me again Joe the week before the season starts he sat down son I said why Gaffer he said well you better sit down because John Lyle will be at your house within the hour the, the club have just have agreed a quarter of a million pound fee for you. You're making your West Ham debut on Saturday, and I nearly dropped the phone because we all. <laughs> I think I don't know about you, but a lot of clubs, you know, watching the football on the TV, West Ham were always a, a good side to watch. You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I think the history of like, you know, the three of them: Martin Peters, Jeff Hurst, and uh, Bobby Moore. You know, a lot of people. It's their second side really, because yeah. the, the West Ham supporters say they won the World Cup as such, but, <laughs> you know, uh, you know that question that you just asked me, 
I signed, and I signed the same day as McAvenny. Me and Frank were the, the two signers that season from Dion, and no one, no one had heard about us to be honest. Even Frank sort of that was, yeah. a, you know. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I remember my first training session there, and I never got a kick. It was like to Tony Gale, Alvin Martin, big centre halves. He was just bringing the ball down and like playing as as they do now, proper ball players. Whereas, you know, I've been playing with centre centre halves who were, you know, usually big big lads who just. Mm. Yeah. Cleared the ball and and it's the first time in my life that I thought, oh, I'm out of my depth here. I really did. I just didn't get a kick. Devonshire couldn't get the ball off him, and uh, I've always said that that was me. You know, the first time ever that I thought I was not going to be good enough. But how did you turn it round then? Well, we played Birmingham on the Saturday, and I didn't have a very good game, and we got beat. And uh, he got me into the office, and he just said, "Listen." wasn't a good result. The whole team didn't play well. He said, I've got faith in you. We know you can, you're going to be a great player at this club. Just just be confident, son, and, and uh, enjoy the day. Because I'd never played Upton Park before, and when I went out there, it was yeah. a little, you know, you, you miss it You miss it now because it's gone, but yeah. uh, what an iconic little ground, and it suited suited me. And uh, I remember having a great game, and uh, crossed two balls, maybe QPR on the day, and I never looked back. When people talk about the 1985-86 season, they think about Gary Lineker scoring 40 goals, Liverpool doing the double. A lot of people tend to forget that at one point it was actually a three-horse race for the title and the other team was West Ham. You're right, Darren, yeah. And I think that season we had a slow start. And, we, you know, I talked to the Everton lads and they, they had to call them the boys of 86. And, you know, we'd be out and we'd done loads of events through that over the years. And we're still in touch with each other because it's the highest West Ham I've ever finished in the, in the history of the club. Mm. And when I do talks, and especially down there, and it's like this, you know, they all remember the boys of 86 because a lot of like the teenagers or the lads who just went, they thought it was like that every year at West Ham. And it was, <laughs> it was spoilt rotten because it was like that every year at Liverpool and Everton in the 80s or whatever. But... At West Ham, it was just this come from nowhere for them, you know. And uh, you know that season, two great Merseyside clubs. When you think about them, they were fantastic teams, and uh, we pushed them all away. And it it, it was that close. Uh, Liverpool played Chelsea away, and they did a loss that would be Everton West Ham for the Championship uh, yeah. on the Monday. And what a game that would have been! And we got stuffed on the on the Monday, to be honest. And uh, a lot of our lads say. They were absolutely shattered because if you if you remember that season, Darren, we never played for six weeks because of the bad winter. Six weeks mm-hmm. of not playing, so we were playing like Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and like the yeah. games just and we kept on winning and kept the pressure on the other two. And uh, I think it was Dad Lee said West Ham were the best football inside that season. And I think you know when you think uh, I was on the right, Devon to your left, and McAvenny and Cotty, it was a uh, quite a potent uh, front 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 line really. There was a, a massive irony to your next move, wasn't there, when you moved to Manchester City, managed by Howard Kendall? Yeah, uh, one of the best phone calls I'll ever have. Um, I was going to go to with John Toshak to Real Sociedad. The deal was more or less done. It was just over Christmas time, and then Howard comes back to City from Atletico Bilbao, and I get a phone call about 11 o'clock at night. I'm usually asleep by then. It was Peter Reid. And he went, Wardy, I've got someone here to speak to you. This is the first time I'd spoke to Howard since leaving the club. Mark, Howard speaking. Uh, I don't want to swear on the, on the, on the, on air, but he said, don't go to Spain, it's not very good. <laughs> well, they've heard his words. He said, I've just come back. He said, come and uh, 
He said, I need a team full of scousers to keep these up because they were nine points adrift at the bottom of the league. Mm. So he said, I've just had a word with your manager. He said, and you can come up tomorrow and speak to me in, in Reedy. So got the train up and uh, sat with them and just wanted to play for them. That was it. So the, the Spain deal was out, you know, didn't want to. And coming home to the northwest, just him and Reedy, just, you just, you just football mad, Reedy. And I just, uh, Reedy said, I've been saying to the gaffer, you know, you top drawer, and, and it's just exactly what we need. I said, but you said you need a team full of scousers, but you, the deal involves Bishop and Morley going that way. And Bishop's a scouser, isn't he? And I always tell him this. Yeah. And he goes, he can't do what you can do, son. And I said, I know. <laughs> and when you think about it, a manager, Christmas time, takes over the side, nine points adrift, and keeps them up. And he didn't, yeah. couldn't, he couldn't gamble in the market. I always speak, I always spoke to him about this. He said, you know, when you said to me, you need a team full of scouts, he said, I needed a team full of pe- men that I could trust now. I couldn't go, on, I couldn't gamble. He said, that's why I got me general. He said, I got you in there. And then he got, you know, and he pinched all the other, they weren't all scouts, but Aiden Heath, uh, mm-hmm. Wayne Clark. And, you know, and he got loads of ex-Everton players and I think that's one of Howard's big achievements to be honest I know he's won things but yeah. it's the, the other step of the, you could do it the other way as well when, when Howard left Manchester City to go to Everton did you say don't forget me Gaffer don't forget me you know what I was absolutely devastated because I'd signed for City because of Howard not for City and he'd come in and done a talk and he'd, he'd done really well at City and he had a good some what he'd done he used his head he had a team that won the FA Youth Cup the Youth Cup and he had the likes of Paul Lake what a player Sad, sadly injured himself Steve Redmond mm. uh, David White and you know nucleus of like really young players and all he'd done was put like Meg out had Gary Megson and Reedy myself Aidan Heath put them alongside and we'd become a really good side I think he was looking forward to the future at City but then Everton can come calling and he says and he stood there with Tony Book, who's still at, I seen him uh, a couple of months ago, Tony Book, when I went to City, he's still there. And he goes, Tony Book is Man City. He said, and I'm Everton Football Club. And I'm sorry, he's got to tell you all, but I'm going back to the club I love. And I was devastated. And then he just looked at me like that and said, see you sooner than you think, son. Now, I just took that with a pinch of salt. You know what I mean? I thought, because mm. it wasn't, it wasn't so... Uh, well, a few months it was before the season started that I signed, you know. And uh, I was always dreaming that he would do it, but and when it come, it was unbelievable. It just, uh, it was like, it, I was in Cork, wasn't we? We were in Cork with Man City and Reedy. He'd give us a day off. I'd just gone from my pint of Guinness to write me bet out and, uh, <laughs> in the boozer. And it was a good walk from the hotel. And Sam Ellis, uh, Reedy's sidekick, comes stood behind me like that and he went, the gaffer wants you, I said, and I just got me pints of Guinness like that. I said, listen, I'm on my day off. Don't bother me. I said, I'm not walking all the way to the hotel for nothing. He said, Mark, I'm telling you, he needs to speak to you. And what was registering is something, something happened at home. I said, well, I'll finish me pints. And he just picked me pints up. Sam, it's a big lump. And he just, he necked it in one. I put the glass down and said, get back to that hotel now. He's got some news <laughs> for you. So I had the right cob on. I was... Uh, jogging back, got there, and he was in his room, really. And uh, he opened the door. He went, get back on the next flight to Liverpool. Uh, he signed it for Everton. And I broke down, actually broke down. I went, because I thought he was joking. 
And he went, no, he said, uh, you deserve it, son. Because Reedy was great with me as well. You know what I mean? He said, yeah. the gaffer will be uh, waiting for you and Alan Harper. And Alan was part of the deal, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. And uh, we couldn't get a flight, so we all went out with the city lads and we had a great, great night to say goodbye and then I would pick us up from the airport and it was just one of them amazing, you know, turnarounds really when you think about it. And it, it must have been it must have been complete and utter redemption when you scored those two goals against Arsenal on your home debut. I was at, I was at the game and we were like, wow, we've got a player here. And that was without knowing the background story, but having been released all those years before, you must have thought to yourself, it's done, I'm back. Well, yeah, I played on the Saturday against Forest and Stuart Pearce again had caught me. Oh, he used, to, he used to come off with him. It was always like a, some sort of bruise or cut off him. And he uh, and was making me home debut on the Tuesday against the Champions Arsenal and I thought, I can't miss this. And I didn't want to go in for treatments in case he just said, I'll leave it. And uh, remember I would saying, listen, you're playing left side. He said, uh, don't go down the left. See, he was such a great coach. I would have never asked you to do something you couldn't do. He said, don't go down the left because you can't. Just because you can't, because you're not very good. <laughs> come inside. <laughs> he said, and put your cross in with your right foot. Or what I'd rather you do when you can't come inside and pull the trigger. Because I could have I had a good dig on me. Anyway, it all just worked out brilliant for me. And then... Uh, the first goal, but you know what, Darren? I've always I've always been asked the question, "What's your greatest game of football?" And it was pulling that shirt on for that home debut and hearing the Zed Cars music. And I, and I, I remember it to this day. Every hair on my body stood up, the arms, the back of my neck, and I just knew that you know I'd waited so long that I was going to be this was this was my night. And even though it was the Inter mm. Champions, and they were a good side, Arsenal. Yeah, they were, yeah. And uh, we had some great players in the team that night and uh, I just thoroughly enjoyed every minute. And when that when I hit that shot and it flew past Seaman, uh, I thought, well, my dad had died the year before, so he wasn't he wasn't there, but he was there in spirit. And uh, mm. and it got better when I hit a free kick, it squirmed under the wall and went in the bottom corner. So, you know, that that's the greatest game of football I've ever had. And uh, I'd, love to, I'd love to go back to that night. The uh, the two win against Liverpool must push it close though, Mark. Yes, yeah. Uh, another thing is again, you know, you you get all your jobs to do before the game, and uh, Liverpool were a good side as well that year, and we weren't doing that well. And I would said, listen, you know, there's, there's players in here. I wouldn't swap with them. He said, in a fight, I said, this 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 team, you know, would beat them. Uh, and it, you know, we just told him when I wasn't taking the corners on the edge of the box and. Uh, so he said, listen, you're on the edge of the box, anything comes out, get onto it. And, uh, and then Stevie McManaman, I've cleared it, and it bounced between me and Mark Walters. I thought, oh, and I was I was raging in. I thought, just kept my eye on the ball, and it hit it as sweet as it could. And it just went about a yard off the floor, and it, before you knew it, it was in the back of the net. And the realisation of scoring in the derby was just unbelievable. And uh, I remember running back to the halfway line just to compose myself, but I didn't see what had happened afterwards because they started having a fight didn't they uh, Bruce and uh, Stevie and it wasn't until later on that night in Arbelly's pub watching match of the day uh, and it just kept on showing them yeah it was a great win because I think we absolutely dominated that game could have been four or five ideally I suppose if it was down to Mark Ward you, you would have stayed at Everton for the rest of your career wouldn't you oh without a doubt mate yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know what 
<laughs> it's ironic because, you know, Mike Walker takes over. And I think I've been, I'm, I've always been an honest player and a, quite a consistent player. And like, play for the managers that I've worked under. And so Mike Walker takes over and uh, I've always said this, the only thing that we had in common was our initials, you know. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I left the club, but, you know, I was gutted because Joe took over, didn't he? Joe yeah. took over and uh, you know, I went to Birmingham on, on loan and then I signed as the player coach. But, you know, ideally, if uh, they'd let Mike Walker go, and I would have stayed because uh, my old gaffer would have probably mm. played me, really, because I was still, still had a few years left. You mentioned coaching there. When you when you, when you saw your playing days out at various clubs and you, you managed Altrincham for a bit, did, did you enjoy that side of it? Did, yeah. I went Well, the Birmingham thing, you know, I went there on loan and uh, because I just wanted to play. Me, me and uh, Mike Walker had followed properly because uh, I, parked, I parked the car in his, uh, his initials, didn't I? It was uh, <laughs> one of them funny stories. You know, for the, for the manager that he was, he was very... Uh, you know, the great managers before and like Harry Catrick and and Howard, they never, you know, you knew where the gaffer parked his car. So, you know, out of respect, he's don't park your car there. But he, he wanted a big MW, wrote on the, you know, big white letters, wrote on the floor of the car park at Belfield. So I always remember driving and I always used to always be one of the earliest in me, Nevin, a couple of the other lads. And as I drove in, never went. Oh look at that there, MW, and I just went and just parked my car, and they're all, laughing, all the lads are laughing. They're all going, "Well, you you won't leave it there." I said, "You won't." It's my initials in it, MW. I said, "So it's staying there." I said, "Because he, I'll be gone before he comes in." Anyway, he was in dead early, wasn't he? And I got called up to stay in the pit. So I, I got called up to his office, and he went, "He's trying to be funny, son. You better move your car." I said, "What are you on about?" It says MW. And we had words, I won't go into it, but uh, I just yeah. told him what I thought of him. And, uh, you know, that was it. That's why I left the club, really. But, yeah, you know, Altsingham, Birmingham, coaching that, I really enjoyed it, especially at Birmingham, because that, that season I went, they won the old second division, I went to Wembley, I got man of the match there and done really well. But, yet again, a, a manager, Barry Fry, it was very difficult to uh, work with. And, um, you know, we had, we had 58 pros that season. And uh, he'd, he'd bought two previous teams from his two previous clubs. So it was like Piccadilly Circus. It was just wow. unbelievable. He was buying players and wheeling, dealing. But we had a big squad and I enjoyed it. You know, I really enjoyed it. But I mean, Tell us about your coaching in the USA. How did that come about? The USA? Um, oh, yeah. That was a... It was like one of the lads I was at Alstingham with, he, he went out there and he was doing really well. And... Uh, it was the uh, the year of the nine eleven, wasn't it? And uh, yeah, I went just out. It was summit in New Jersey. Went out there, and it was just because I always had a loose end. I thought I'll I'll try it, but it was like just uh, coaching little kids. And from the you know, I'm a man who speaks his mind, and I just thought I had thirty two kids, and it was charging like fifty dollars a kid, and there was coaches from all around the world, and it was just. The numbers killed it, to be honest. You couldn't give the kids any time because there was too many of them. So I'd only arrived the day before and the, the, the guy who was, he was, a, he was a millionaire out of all this coaching, he, he, you know, he wanted to go for a drink with the, the Premiership, ex-Premiership player. And I just told him, <laughs> I just told him what I thought of him and uh, my coaching job was over the next day. <laughs> because we, I just, I, I, you know, I had to be honest and say, listen, you, you know, 
uh, it wasn't right really and it wasn't something that I could do. So I ended up uh, doing one-to-one coaching and uh, done that for a bit until uh, I was only about six miles away from that disaster and it was horrendous, you know what I mean? So I remember I had ambulances and seen helicopters going and and then one of the dads ran down onto the field, picked his, his lad up and go and said, we're being invaded. And I just picked up the, the cones and the bibs up and I said to Jonesy, the lad, I said, what's going on here? He said, Mark, I don't know. He said, I don't know what's going on. Anyway, we got in the car and we put the radio on and Howard Stern, this uh, DJ, was saying like the Pentagon's gone and all that. Like, And then we just got to the apartments and we couldn't move for a few days. And it, you know, it opened my eyes because a lot of people couldn't go back into the city and you've seen some you know, terrible things, uh, people crying in the streets and we've lost people and that. So, you know, it was, a, it was something I'll never forget. I'll just go back to support mechanism. When when you left Everton as an 18-year-old, there, was, there wasn't much of a support mechanism. When you packed in playing football, was there, was there a support mechanism there for you? I wouldn't say so. The PFA seems to think that they do lots and that. And uh, obviously, you know, I don't mind touching on the fact that I got into trouble and, you know, and I think the reason why I got into trouble is if you don't, um, like, when, when your career's over, you know, if, if you don't, like, look at what's going to happen at the end of your career, if you're not going to stay lucky enough to stay in the game through coaching and management or in the media. Um, and the, in our era, like, I go and see the West Ham boys and the Everton lads every now and again and work a lot down at West Ham. And even at Goodison and, and even at Man City, and you speak to all the boys, and there's not many from the 80s and that who were wealthy enough to, to retire on the money from football. Mm. So you don't look after your finances, which I never did, and you know, be clever and savvy with your money. Uh, you can get into trouble. I mean, get into trouble in a way where, you know, like I did really. You know what I mean? And that was that was the reason. And there isn't much, there wasn't at that time much support mechanism, to be honest. The only support mechanism that really, what they say is your pension, put money in your pension for after you finish playing. But if you mm. if you if you're a spender and you don't, you're not that way inclined. And there's no there's no excuse really. You know what I mean? I I, I put all the blame on myself and and re- realized I didn't plan for life without football. When did things start to go wrong for you, Mark? Well, I think I got divorced and then uh, I got a pub as well, which wasn't a good decision. Um, and then really ran out of money. Uh, tried to go to, well, I went to Australia twice. And the second time I tried to, uh, done really well out there. Went on the radio, was making a name for myself. I wanted to open a soccer school out there because I thought, what a place to go. And I had friends who'd left from school. Evertonian, uh, spoke to Mick Lyons, who was in Perth. Uh, and he, it's not like as if I was in Sydney. It's not as if I could just go over and have a pint with him. <laughs> but we were arranging that. But my my visa uh, ran out. And uh, I've got to tell the story. I was working working with a lad called Peter Jones, who I went to school with, and uh, big Evertonian. And my holiday visa was running out. And because of my age, I was 42. He said, oh, I'll take you down to immigration. He said, uh, see if they can sort someone out. Because he didn't want to stay there illegally, because you just get, you know what I mean? So... Yeah. We had a week left and uh, we waited in the queue and then we got got to the front of the queue and there was, there was a girl there. So we go up and, he, and Peter does all the talk and goes, this is me mate Mark, he's on a holiday visa and it's running out and he wants to stay. Well, because of his age, he can't unless he proves to us that he's very, very good for this government. What can he offer us, he said. 
So you need to distinguish talent, Lisa. He went, you scored a goal against Liverpool in the derby. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what he said to the girl. So obviously, it's gone right over there. She went, what? And I was like, Peter, come on, let's go, right? So that was a typical Evertonian, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I, my plan was to come back and work on getting a, a, a visa, which meant, you know, going to the clubs and saying, like, you know, uh, I, w- I was good enough to offer Australia, you know, the coaching things, side things, and then that's when I come back and I got really ill. I was in uh, exactly hospital for two weeks, thought, of it. well, it was like a, an aneurysm, and I was just at a, a, a really bad low when I got out, and then I made the decision to uh, do what I did, you know, rent a house out for certain individuals and paid the consequences, so... Them few years that Darren were very, very, you know, um, if I'd have stayed in Australia, I might not have got into trouble. And, uh, but, you know, you know, I'm a better person for it now. You're always honest enough and open enough to speak about the time that you spent in prison, Mark. Being a familiar face, being a, a famous person, was that, a, was that a help or a hindrance when you were, when you were inside? I think at first it was like, a, you know, especially in Walton, because, you know, there's loads of loads of scouts is there but there's people from all over there's Man City supporters West Ham supporters you get everything so I think in the in the in the first instance it was it was it was okay because people knew what I would they all knew me because a lot of people when you go to prison they haven't got like they just got a number you just a number and my number was NM6982 I'll always remember that number and when I when I spoke to my mum on the phone you know she was so innocent she went just, just cried and everything and uh, she said, NM, does that mean Naughty Mark? <laughs> just dead innocence. I said, Mum, no, that's the number I've just been given. So, but, uh, yeah, uh, I think it was a help because, obviously, people just knew I was, what I was in for because it was in the, you know, in the papers and everything else. And, and then, uh, you know, I, I just tried to look after people in prison because a lot of people, are, you know, there's a lot of suicides there, Dad, and a lot of violence and, mm. and things like that. People need help. But I think if you try and be a good person in prison, you know, you'll get through it. And that's when Howard Kendall showed just what a man he really was. Yeah, I never forget, like, he never come to visit me in Walton for certain reasons. And I, and I think he was right because, obviously, he, he waited for me to move on to Rochdale. And uh, I get, I, the governor called me and he said, listen, I've got an important visitor tomorrow. And he said, it's Howard Kendall and Duncan Ferguson and a, a guy called Tommy Griff. And I went... Okay, yeah, and then I remember going back to my cell that night, thinking, oh, because when you when you get into trouble, you know, you think about all the people that you've hurt, all the people that have done well for you, to, you know, throughout your life, not just your family, but I always thought of what I would thought of me, what mm. John Lyle would have, you know, and and even all me playing, you know, mates and that, mm. and I think, you know, you start looking at yourself as a person and think, you know, why, why, because you've let them people down, and I was so nervous about meeting Howard the next day and uh, when he got into the visit hall he sat down with Duncan and uh, Tom and uh, I'll, I'll go in and I sit down and it, it, I always remember the words he said I always remember them to the day I die listen son nothing's changed between me and you I'm here for you now and I'm here for you when you get out do you want a cup of tea and I just looked at him and I thought and it was just you know that's I thought he could have come in and said you know why did you do this or you let people down? Yeah. But he didn't, he needed that, you know, I needed that support 
and it was fantastic when you think that's what sort of man he was. You know, it was just great to see him and, you know, when I got out, he was there for me and uh, I miss him to this day. I think he was just a massive part of my career. Don't forget, he signed me twice and, uh, you know, I've become a better player under him. Let's bring things up to date then, Mark. You're still, as you say, very much involved with, with West Ham. You, you always get a good reception when you come back to Goodison. We'll start with Goodison. I know that means a lot to you, doesn't it, that you, you do the lounges. We, we've spoken many times and, and you get a good reception. Yeah, brilliant. Never, you know, it's easy for people to, to knock you down. And, you know, when you've made a mistake like I did, you know, people don't give you the second chance. But, you know, my club, which is Everton, uh, I was with Bill, you know, my sister, the... Uh, She's got this terrible motor neurons disease, and I seen him at the Watford. I was at a Watford game last year, and uh, I was trying to get hold of him. Obviously, as you know, and you've helped as well, and everyone at the club, and we had a big charity night for us. So, but the club itself, you know, never turned its back on me, and uh, I've been to the lounges. And some of the questions are, you know, not just about my career, but about you know what, what's happened. And I think there is a story there, and the the, the fans can relate to me. And uh, I enjoy it every time. I get looked after, absolutely. You know, I think Everton's, I've took West Ham uh, supporters there and they love it. They just love the, uh, you know, the, when you sit down from your food to your drink to the hospitality, it's fantastic. It's next next to none. And, uh, you know, Man City, they've invited me back as well. But obviously, because I'm down and based in Essex now, working for the water treatment company, I go to most of the West Ham games as an ambassador. And, uh, you know, I just... Thank all the clubs and all the people like yourself who've, who've stood by me, you know. The boys of 86, the, the team spirit's still there, isn't it? Tony Gale, Machiavelli and all those. Yes, without a doubt. And, uh, you know, we get together. I was with Gale, he went round to his house to watch the West Ham game. He had, he's got a man's shed at the bottom of the garden. <laughs> uh, and uh, we, we watched the game and had a laugh. He's still the same, sharp as a tack. Reggie, Reggie after Reggie Cray. He was, he was well named. Well named. Mark, you've always enjoyed proving people wrong. You've always been a fighter and it's terrific to see you doing well. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I've enjoyed your company.